episode 50 of the slow spin society podcast my name is paul and joining me as always is rob what's up man episode 50 fucking hell that's insane bro that's a lot of episodes (laughs) hello everybody yeah and today we are with jake ricker how are you i am great thanks so much for having me no problem dude Pleasure. Um, Pleasure. We had a little bit of a pre-show, so if you want to hear more about Jake not being an early morning person, his messenger career, uh, movies, and I mean a lot of stuff, uh, then you should listen to the pre-show. You can access the extended conversation on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Well, Jake, uh, first, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's nice to have you on the show. Most of the people listening to this uh, probably know who you are, but for the one who don't, could you quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Jake Ricker. I'm 34, living in San Francisco, California, USA. And I'm, at this point in my life, a documentary photographer working on a very, very big full-length project documenting the Golden Gate Bridge on a basically daily basis. Previously a bike messenger for nine years in San Francisco and Seattle, where I also documented most of my days riding around the city, seeing crazy stuff, beautiful stuff, funny stuff, sad stuff, everything that I kind of just came across. So yeah, always been into bikes and stuff like that, but now I'm quite more quietly into bikes i still ride every day and ride like hundreds of miles a week i just i don't know i don't post about it as much as i used to but i'm still out there riding around yeah yeah i mean it's your project's absolutely sick can you just um go into depth a bit more I'd, I'd love to hear personally about it and how you started it and and what's the goal and what it involved what it takes what time it takes from you and what, what's it what's it involved in it yeah, um, I started kind of like late 2017, early 2018, right when I stopped being a messenger in late 2017, where um, I had shot like the downtown-ish area for so many years that I was kind of just looking for a new photo project. Like once I stopped being a messenger, I didn't have to be downtown. So I started like going there on foot and I was like, this... I've kind of done this before, you know, like I don't really need to do this anymore. And so I was kind of looking for other parts of San Francisco to like photograph. And I had been to the Golden Gate Bridge many, many times, like either like riding there or showing friends of mine, like the area, just kind of doing touristy stuff. And I don't know, I guess like I always saw photos of the Golden Gate Bridge, but it was always from an architectural structural standpoint and not really like of the people and mm-hmm. from the sidewalk and kind of what made the bridge special um so i thought like oh that's kind of interesting like i'll go for a few weeks like a couple days a week like for a couple hours i'll just make like a little zine or a little photo series or something and 
after, I don't know, a month, month and a half, I was like, huh, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I'll go for like three months and just make like, obviously the more you go, the better it's going to be. Cause you'll just have more work to like pull from. Mm-hmm. And then after those three months, I was like, huh, I feel like I'm getting stuff, but it's like just scratching the surface. I'll go six months. That's like a good number, you know? And then at the end of those six months, I was like, all right, I'm going to do a year. I'm going to do a book now. I'm not going to do just a little zine. And it just like, it kept going. And now it's been four years and I'm not sure when I'm going to wrap it up, but (laughs) I think another year or two. And I know I've said that to like myself and other people so many times. And I just think that, um, yeah, like I can't go much longer, but there's certain I don't know. There's just certain like personal photo boxes that I like haven't checked off yet. Like there's just mm-hmm. something there that I'm like, I, I could put out a book right now and I think it would be good. And I think people would like it, but in my opinion, it wouldn't be great. And so I know if I go a little bit longer, I can really do something that's great. And to me, it's like, I've put in so much time and spent literally like thousands of hours and I've walked thousands of miles and shot thousands of roles that like another couple of years is like not a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with COVID, like <clears throat> I feel like the last two years have felt like two weeks slash like 20 years. It feels like forever, but it also feels like nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like, I don't know, two more years to me, like is how long COVID has been going on. So I think I can manage. Can you tell me a bit more about like the process and the journey involved in as a documentary photographer compared to like a street photographer and as the project has become what it is now, what is, what is the process when, when you're there and, and, and what are you looking to capture? What are you, are, what's your, what's your eye looking for? What, when do you pick up the camera and go, that's something good. Just, just a question. Yeah, I think how I work is either exactly like most people work or the opposite of how most people work. But I really don't know because I don't really like I know about photography a little bit and I do look up some photographers, but I really am pretty bad at it compared to what I think most people would assume. Like Hmm. I didn't know what street photography was until a couple years ago, even though I had been doing it for like 12 years at the time. I, I literally did it because I found it interesting, but I didn't Got know yeah. what other people did. Like, I didn't know that it was, like, a title. I didn't even know, like, what documentary photography was, like, meaning, like, I knew what National Geographic was, but I didn't know that's what that those kinds of photos were called. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. It was literally that far off my radar. So I just take photos of anything and everything that, like, I find interesting. And I probably, like, overshoot meaning like I don't just like spray and pray where I'm just like shooting the same thing a hundred times like a digital photographer might but I definitely like shoot a lot and if I don't use it I don't use it but to me it's like I would much rather try and get a photo than to not shoot it and then wish I did later on or something Mm -hmm. so yeah it's like I don't really go into anything thing or any situation or any specific day like saying like i want to try to get this kind of photo but 
just because you have no control. And that's to me, like what makes that medium and that genre of photography so special where it's like, if something unfolds in front of you, you have like one second to get it right. Mm -hmm. You don't really have like a do over, like that moment isn't staged. So it's like, if you're a studio photographer and your film gets ruined or your memory card fails, you could literally like hire the same model. You could recreate almost every single one of those photos. Um, and that's cool if that's your thing, but that's not my thing. And I like, I don't find any satisfaction in that. Like I like not being able to duplicate it. I like being there in the moment to capture something that can never happen again and will never happen again. And it's never going to happen in a studio and it's like never going to happen like in your house. Like you have to just go out and about. And I think like, um, like riding around the city because obviously like I know a lot of cyclists are going to like listen to this like if you ride around the city regularly and you don't have a camera on you like yeah absolutely. you're missing oh yeah like opportunities yeah. and I think like to me it's everything and I have friends that are like starting to have kids and stuff and as soon as they like announce that like oh we're pregnant or whatever I'm like, hey, like, I know you're not a photographer and I know you might not care, but I was like, just spend like 60 to 100 bucks on like a point and shoot on eBay, like a, like a film point and shoot. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. just shoot like three to five rolls a year. Like, yeah, I know yeah. you don't oh, care, but your kids, <laughs> totally. like, when I was a kid growing up, like, my mom wasn't a photographer, but she would shoot like little photos here and there, like on a, like a Pentax point and shoot that i actually still have like that exact camera um and she would drop them off like at the drugstore you know like the one hour photo lab and get little prints made in an envelope and dude like we have like boxes of little four by six photos from like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 1987 when i was born to like 2005 and then right around 2005 when digital photography took off like we have no prints, no photos that are printed. It's crazy, right? And to me, it's like, it's everything. Like, even the old photos were like your like your mom's fingerprint or like her fingers in the edge of the photo and it's like out yeah. of focus. Like, even the bad photos are amazing, like with age. Exactly. And so to me, it's like, it's everything. Like, even if the photo isn't good... Like, I don't think There's I'm... There's no a, such thing yeah. as a good photo or a bad photo. It's perspective, isn't right. it? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, like, always yeah. trying to tell people, like, just take photos, like, but actually print the work and actually, like, care about the photos you're taking. And I don't know. To me, it's, like, when you have kids, you can never go back in time. And I think even if you shoot photos from your iPhone, it's just not as special. Like, even if you print them, I really think, like, film photography is, like, the only like form of photography that I'm like satisfied in doing. Like I, I have an iPhone and I shoot photos on it sometimes, but it's, it's not the same. And I don't print that work. I don't show that work. It's just almost like a memory for me. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think like a physical, like a film photo is physical from the moment you buy the film. It just hasn't been exposed to light yet. But it's Absolutely. like, yeah, it's like, like there's chemicals that make up the emulsion. There's chemicals that bring out the photo. Like it's the scientific, like yeah. how much light it receives and the seconds it receives those, that light, it all like oh, lines yeah. up to making this like actual piece of like magic on a little piece of plastic. Oh, 
I don't know. To me, it's everything, and I think more people should do it and take it more seriously. But yeah, I don't know. That's like how I operate. Like I don't. I know no, it was kind of just, like a long answer to yeah. the question, but like I don't no, think about sure. what I'm taking. I just because I don't have that control. Whatever unfolds in front of me unfolds in front of me, and so I kind of just take anything and everything, and whatever happens happens. But yeah, it's like. Like I said, like I'm just kind of now starting to like look up other photographers, and especially now that I'm like working on this book, I'm kind of like buying other people's books to see like what they do and how they do it and how they lay it out and the paper they use and the choices they make like within that. It's not something you could ever like look up online. Like it literally needs to be physically held in your hands. You know, like you need to like flip through the pages and see how they like the order of things and how they all kind of mesh together. And yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at now with photography is kind of just doing it all day, every day. And little by little, I'll get like a photo book here or there and kind of all with like the goal of like making my book in a few years. Yeah. That's something I found really weird was digital photography is you are buying a piece of hardware to take digital format photography and then you eventually print that to get something physical again and that's yeah. that's that bridge it doesn't really make sense when you do film photography from the beginning to the end of your process it is something tangible um yeah totally and what's funny is is i totally agree with what you're saying but i'll even add to it because this makes even less sense is at this point people are shooting film just to scan it to a digital mm -hmm, file mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. to print it no print people it. rarely it's print cool. in a dark room so yeah. it's like digital is not doing what film should be doing but film is now doing what digital should be doing and it's like this weird cross process of like i don't know it's we want, weird we want, the, we want the film look and the film uh, aesthetic but we actually want the ease and convenience of posting on instagram yeah yeah and i yeah. blew it with instagram like i did not take instagram seriously because I had like a Flickr account, which I don't know if you guys remember. It we do. Flickr, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, to me, like I had Flickr. So I, when Instagram first came out, it was kind of cheesy, like corny little filters, square format only, yeah, yeah. which isn't how I was shooting photos. So to me, it was like, I'm not going to take a square format photo. I don't know. So like for years I had one, but did not take it seriously. And I had friends that were like not photographers and that like got it. into it and they have like 300,000 followers now. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like you weren't yeah. even a photographer and that's cool. But I'm like, damn it. Like now I'm like, so I was like into Flickr and like that. And then Instagram is done so many different things like then it became like a film photographer's thing where people could like upload their film photos or their digital photos and now it's like videos and reels and yeah, all that but into, yeah. yeah which is like obviously not really my thing either and i don't know it's just like a strange 
thing where I love Instagram in a way and I hate Instagram in a way. Like I've yeah, met like yeah, so yeah. many cool people and I've, I've kept in touch with so many people that I've met in person, but I also hate that it's become like this like revolving door of like political bullshit and memes. And like, I don't know. I just think like it's totally gotten away from photography and showing the world, like what you're up to. And I've really tried hard to like not, Oh yeah, I've like I never yeah. post memes. Yeah. I never get political. Like I yeah. I'm like I have like a ton of beliefs and um convictions and stuff, but it's like I don't need to post all day every day every time like a tragedy happens and I'm not like trying to like hate on that, but it's like to me Instagram was like my escape from that stuff cuz I am pretty well informed and I do like look up stuff and I definitely watch a ton of documentaries as well as normal movies. And I don't know, to me, it's like, I want to see people like having fun and being creative. And I like, I want to see what they saw. I don't really want a really serious topic being like boiled down to like a two sentence long meme. Absolutely. To be honest. Yeah. I think you touched, I think it was nice the way you touched on it earlier uh, in terms of like, I've been a vegetarian for what, five years now, but I'm not against eating meat. Uh, I don't do everything perfectly, but I try my little bit. There's a difference between like drastically making everyone do one thing against the way they want to do it, or everyone making just a small effort to be fucking good and do some good things. And I think that would make a huge difference. Um, I don't think it needs to be so strict and so against everyone people people think you know you said become a vegetarian you think they're taking away something from them no it's just don't eat shit meat and don't eat meat that's been uh cruel cruelly uh, kept cru cruelly it's, it's uh yeah i don't know yeah i'm like a more extreme version of that where like i'm anti-speciesism so the fact that like we have pets that like our dogs and cats and other things like that, that we would, you could never imagine eating. But if you've spent any time around like a cow, you would look, you would notice that they're like a giant dog. Like literally they do everything a dog does. And so to me, it's like, I don't care what we used to do as a society, like to survive, like we're past that. And, like, we don't need to do the things we do to these animals. We don't need to do the things we do to the earth. Like, that shit's fucking an old mindset and unnecessary. And, like, the things we do to chickens and cows and other factory farmed animals, it's, like, it's going to come back to us. And it already has. Like, I don't know. Like, our health is not good because of that stuff. Like, it's all karma. And I look at it, like, oh, yeah, you can act like it doesn't have consequences, but it absolutely does. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people a year die from heart attacks and stuff. And, like, these are all due to shit diet, mostly consisting of shitty meat and forms of animal products. So it's like, I don't know. To me, it's like, it's funny to watch COVID and people all up in arms, like, oh, we need to save people. It's like, okay, like, you need to do this, this, and this to, <laughs> for, to save people. Like, okay, cool, because... I look at people smoking cigarettes as like future cancer patients, you know? So it's like, 
I don't want to take people's freedoms away and I'm not advocating for that, but it strikes me as a bit odd that like millions of people have died of cancer from cigarettes and cigarettes are legal. So it's like, if we're trying to save people from themselves, I just find it odd that like you can drink yourself to death. You can smoke cigarettes like freely and no one really thinks it's weird, but yeah, yeah. I it's mean, legal, in fact. yeah, don't, don't want to get political or anything, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. the same with meat, cigarette, alcohol, pretty much, or even tech companies. Like we talked, uh, uh, in, in the pre-show, as long as there's people out there that's going to make money on that, probably not going to stop but <laughs> let's let's not talk only about that yeah because then let's segue back into yeah, cycling for true. Uh, that's a good segue for keeping healthy i mean riding bikes but yeah cool. yeah definitely another good segue that we could have is of course uh you've been uh taking pictures riding on your bike uh for the many many years you have been um, a messenger, um, and you also took pictures of that kind of golden era when, like, the beginning of um, uh, TCB and uh, just San Francisco in early 2010s. I'd say, what what was it like back there? Um, I would say it was pretty fun and a fun time to be riding around in a city and being a messenger. Like there was money to be made because the apps hadn't really started yet. And I don't know, the weather was good. There was like a lot of people employed at TCB. I think like we had like almost 50 riders in like the peak and yeah, I just think back to like, it was just fun. I don't know. It was, it was fun to be there. It was fun to photograph it. And it was fun to ride around in that time. And the money was just easy. There was like always work to be had. And it's like, if you were willing to like work hard, there was like definitely like benefits to it. And because we had so many people working there, I could always like take trips. So I just like hustled. Like, I don't, I don't drink coffee. And like I said, like I've been sober. So it's like, I didn't, I never like sat around like drinking coffee or smoking cigarettes or like smoking weed. So I was just always about like work, work, work. And then I don't know, I would just work really, really hard and then take like two weeks off and take a trip somewhere. So it's like in 2000, like 14, 15, 16, I traveled so much and I don't know. I'm just like thankful for that time. It's like within those like two or three years, it's like I went to Japan, which is like where I met you. Yep. And then I went to France, which is like you were living back there again. Cause like, obviously for people that don't know that are listening to this more from me, like you are from France, but lived in Japan for a while. And then by the time I made it to France and Europe, you were back there. So it's like, we've, met up on like different continents at this point like across the world which is like kind of cool and so Crazy. i don't know i mean just in like those two three years i was just like working really hard and saving money and traveling it's like i went to japan australia like france switzerland spain like all over the u.s mexico um i don't know i think there was like a couple other spots in there but yeah 
so I don't know that just yeah like that time was just like a lot of fun and I would go to like the CMWCs which is like the Cycle Messenger World Championship so like that's why I went to Australia that's why I went to Mexico City that's like why I went to Paris like all of that was cycling related so I just used like Mm -hmm. cycling as a way of like traveling and seeing other places but I would always stay later than most people just to like have my like the cycling version of it and then just my normal version of things and I don't know yeah it's it's the cycling community and like photography community is like pretty wild and fun and like yeah you can it's I don't even know like dude I've met some of like my closest friends through like Instagram or through other friends like after I was in Paris with you I went to Switzerland for a couple weeks and the dude who tattoos me is from Switzerland and so like through him I've like met his friends and some of them I had never met in person we just like liked each other's stuff and some of them were also tattooers and when I was in Paris or like about to leave for Paris I kind of reached out to him I'm like hey I think I might take a train to Switzerland after I'm done in France like if you if you spent a week in Switzerland like where would you stay and what would you see and he's just like oh like you should just stay with me and I was like no no I'm like I wasn't hitting you up to get like a free place to stay I was genuinely like asking a question like if you have a week here where would you go you know and so he kind of insisted and I kind of just took him up on it dude I I left Paris on my birthday like August 14th and took a train to Bern which is like I think the capital of Switzerland not knowing this person at all he like (laughs) met me at the train station like picked me up he booked all my stuff for me because I had like no idea like what train to take and then I like get to his house with like his like wife and kid and I have no idea like what I'm walking into and it was like he had a present wrapped for me and I didn't even tell him it was my birthday. He realized it from looking at my passport and my oh. information when he booked the ticket um, and like cooked me a whole dinner. And when he cooked it, I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't tell this dude that I'm vegan. Like I hope that it's <gasps> like not a waste of his time. And I was like, and he's like, Oh no, I'm vegan. I was like, Oh, okay. Like I did not know that about him, you know? So it was like, shit this is crazy and his house in my opinion till this day might be one of the coolest places like i've ever been to like it's an old schoolhouse, and there's like a river in the backyard basically that's dude it's beyond Uh, mind-blowing like it's (laughs) such a beautiful place and like it's just a little bit outside of burn um and like dude he's a tattooer and yeah dude he tattooed me like every day for free for like weeks like and i don't know it was like one of the best experiences of my life and it's all like just people meeting through instagram like happening to be like in the same country like i don't know it's i'm like so thankful for like people and interactions like that like i still i talked to him like this morning actually and it's like we still talk all the time and I don't know. I don't even remember the question, but yeah, that's like <laughs> why I be, like became a messenger was like, to me, it's like the best thing to do to like travel and meet people because like you're always in 
interacting with people like whether it's like in an elevator or at like a reception desk like i don't know you're just out and about yeah always interacting and talking and i don't know and thinking back at it you had some serious bowls to bring that pristine condition san rancho everywhere like you had it when you were in france but i guess you had it when you were also in mexico uh and that thing is so clean and a lot of people would have been scared to death to take that into a plane weird i don't think it's clean at all like actually in paris it got scratched up pretty bad like which one we're talking about it's like a purple san rancho ah okay like a typical their version like you know how they have like the light lavender and then the dark purple Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's like the darker one but okay yeah yeah i took nice i took the san rancho to france and europe and like spain and switzerland and stuff but i took my khs aero track like the red pursuit frame to mexico and then i took the san rancho to australia so i don't know to me it's not that pristine and because i don't know if you know this it was stolen for four years so to me it's like it got stolen it was gone for four years and then i got it back so to me it's all like bonus time i don't baby it but i definitely like don't beat it up but to me it's like it should have never come back to me so i just ride it and travel with it and i don't like i care about it but it's not i don't know i've never taken good care of my bikes but they're never like worked i don't know like dude i see people's bikes that are like so messed up and i'm like how in the hell do you let that happen like not even on purpose or on accident like i just don't understand it like i've like i said i was a messenger for like nine years none of my bikes but you maintain your bike yourself no never i never clean my bikes (laughs) what (laughs) ever it's not what i was expecting never like if you look at my bikes like that's why i'm surprised that paul said that because like if you look at that san rancho like it's the chip there's like paint chips and it's like pretty used i don't i mean i i guess to most people it's not but i don't know i've never really taken care of my bikes that much i've used them like a tool that they are and i've never owned shitty bikes because i've as a messenger it's like if you're gonna ride something for like eight to ten hours a day I've never understood like the messengers that have like the squeakiest shitty bikes. Like you just have to hear that squeak for all day, every day. It just never made sense to me. So I don't get why anyone rides their bike on a daily commute to and from work and rides the shittiest. That's bike. something. That's some shit you see I, everywhere. I, I think yeah. that last time I went to Paris a few a few weeks back, just went for having fun, seeing my friends, and I saw that girl uh, and she was really really trying hard to get up that hill on well a pretty old bike not that well maintained so flat pedals you know i i understand but then i looked at the tires and they were not flat but yeah like one barely one lonely psi inside of there and yeah, people just don't know that you need to pump your tires, you know, on on a regular basis. And yeah, I mean, that happened. But sideways to that, um, 
Jake, do you mind telling us the story of that stolen San Rancho and how you get it back? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I built up that bike in maybe like late 2008, early 2009. And I was living in Seattle at the time when I built it up. And I went to Portland, Oregon, which is about two hours two to three hours like south of Seattle, like easy little day trip, you know? And I went there for a bike race, like an alley cat, a few friends and friends of mine, we all just went down there. And I mean, at the time that was like peak, like fixed gear track bike, kind of the beginning of like so many people being into it that a lot of alley cats at that point were pretty big draws like there would be like a hundred people in an alley cat like easy mm. now i feel like it's like 30 or something like it's kind of died out like a lot of people have like grown up and gotten other mountain bikes road bikes gravel bikes or motorcycles or something like that's definitely like i've seen people kind of just i don't know grow up it's like a lot has happened in the last like 13 years so um so i went down there for that and it was like a big deal like so many racers, tons of prizes, like sponsors at that time were just throwing so much stuff at these kinds of alley cats. Yeah, like, dude, yeah. wheel sets, hubs, frames, messenger bags, just actual good prizes. Like you could win an alley cat and very get very different then though, right? Very different. Yeah. So because there was so many prizes the dude who threw the race had to rent like a box truck, like U-Haul, like box van, just to fill, like that's how many prizes were like in this alley cat. Shit. Like I'm not even joking. Like dude, you could get like eight and get like a frame. Like it was nuts, dude. Um, <laughs> and so the after party was like huge. There was nowhere to lock your bike up. Nowhere. So me and like, 10 other people locked our bikes up like in the U-Haul and during the party, someone like broke into the U-Haul and stole everything out of it. No and way. the thing about that is, is it was like an inside job. It wasn't a smash and grab. It was not a crime no of opportunity. Way. Like it wasn't one bike. It was 10 everything. bikes, frames, <sighs> wheel sets, like so much stuff. You think and, someone like rang their friend and was like, shit, if you get down here now, we could steal. You think that kind of insight? Yeah, I basically think it was like a racer hit someone up that was like kind of a shitty friend of theirs and was like, hey, Fuck. dude, like if you want bikes, there's bikes That's here. That's low. So, yeah, so my bike got stolen. My messenger bag got stolen. At the time, like I was a messenger. So, like that was like my work bag. Like I needed it, you know? So, mm. I literally went to Portland with stuff. And I came back with the clothes I was wearing. Like everything was gone. Which my very first camera that I ever got that was given to me by my uncle, who was basically like my dad, who um it was like the most important thing to me. Like I've never gotten that back, you know? So like that was stolen and it still pisses me off. And he died like two years ago. And I think about that camera almost daily. Like it really pissed me off. So Wow. Yeah, and it was like a first generation freight bag that was like 
the sickest fucking bag I've ever owned. Even though I have like five freight bags still, that one, just that one. the way it was sewn, the that's he's always changed up his style and like how he sews his bags. And that era was like the one. Um, and so, yeah, my bike was stolen. And so how, yeah, so how'd you get it back? And then there was like spottings of it for years. Like I would get DMs like on, and keep in mind, this is 2009. This is before Instagram. So I would yeah. get like DMs from people like on like Flickr and I don't, maybe even MySpace or Facebook back then. Like I don't even know. And then like that photo blog that's now the Radivist was probably is not probably like he posted about it when it got stolen. Like, like it wasn't just me. Like I said, there was everyone's stuff was stolen. So there was like a huge post like saying like, Hey, keep an eye out for this, this, and this, like dude, people's piece to concepts, like other NJS frames. Dude, there was so much stuff stolen, you know? Yeah. So after a couple years, I just stopped even putting any effort into it, you know? And every now and then, people would be like, hey, like, I'm selling my San Rancho. Like, I know it's the same size. I know yours got stolen and it meant a lot to you. Like, do you want to buy this? And I was like, it's all good, you know? Like, I don't... (laughs) At the time, I didn't have the money. And it's like, it just... I didn't need to do that. Like, it was... I kind of just moved on. Like, I didn't want someone else's San Rancho. Like, I wanted my San Rancho. So... And I guess for people listening that aren't into cycling, it's just a name of a bike that's like a hand-built kind of like an influential, sought-after, hand-built bike from Japan. Um, you can't just like buy them from a store. It's kind of like specific. And um, So like I said, at the time, Flickr and other social medias were like bigger. And then... I think February 2013, I got a message on Flickr and the subject was like three Rencho, San Rencho. And then I had seen that dozens of times over the years. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I think mm-hmm. I saw your bike here. Oh, this, or mm-hmm. hey, do you want to buy my bike, et cetera. So I opened the message and it says, hey, I think I have your bike. Call me. And so I'm like, I don't know. I don't talk on the phone. Like I didn't want to call, but I was like, super right. ominous as well. Yeah. I think I have your yeah. bike. Call. Gonna, I was like, I guess I'll call this person. So I call, they answer. I'm like, Hey, my name's Jake Ricker. I live in Seattle. I just got a flicker message with this phone number saying like, Hey, I think I have your bike. It's like a purple sparkly purple bike. He's like, Hey man, I forget his name right now, but he's like, Oh, Hey man, like this is blah, blah, blah yeah, dude, like, can you describe some of the parts, like, on your bike? And I was like, yeah, like, it had this saddle. It was, like, a white San Marcos Rolls saddle. It'll have, like, a little Rolls golden shield on the back. It'll, like, have a Thompson silver seat post. It'll have, like, these cranks, this wheel set. And he's like, yeah, dude, like, I have your bike. Um, I want to get it back to you. I just don't want you to call the cops on me. Basically, like, I didn't steal your bike, but I I went to sell the bike, and I Googled the name of it, and then your bike popped up, like, on Google Images, like, the exact bike I was looking at. And it's like, again, if you don't ride bikes, like, these aren't just bikes from a store that are, like, stock parts. They None of them look the same. You know, it's like, if you buy, like, a specialized mountain bike, 
all the parts are like the same on them usually you know it's like from the floor it just looks like every other bike with that same paint job so the fact that like rare bikes are harder to sell and more specific like kind of makes you be able to get them back like if i had like a normal specialized road bike stolen it's like dude i'll never get that back they all look the same so he basically was just hey like i didn't steal it i want to give it back to you just don't call the cops on me and i was like i mean how many how many years later was that three and a half yeah the likelihood of him actually stealing it was pretty slim yeah and so i was like dude we're good like you sought me out like i didn't find you yeah, you know like yeah. you came to me like i'm not going to call the cops on you and um i i think i offered him like 150 bucks or 200 bucks which like i didn't have a lot of money at the time but i felt like because he did the right thing and because he did have something that was like worth a few thousand dollars like he didn't have to like hit me up just to yeah, like give yeah, it yeah. to me for free mm -hmm. but he didn't take any of the money and a friend of mine scooped it up for me cuz this was like a wednesday and then the next day like my friend got it and then I drove down there like on the weekend and picked it up and it dude everything was on it no, except the toe strap buttons they like took off which is hilarious like even the lights were still on it which you could easily just no. clip off um like the Cashy Max like top tube protector was on it which you can just pop those things off with like no effort And now those things are like $500 on eBay, which is so stupid because I used to have like five of them and I would just give them away to friends that needed them because they were like 20 bucks. Um, yeah, so I got it back. I still have it. It's like 10 feet from me right now. Do you not think that's crazy though that it's such a hard item to sell even in three and a half years? It hadn't even been stripped down and like attempted to like Get, it was it, it was still had the same components on three and a half years later and I guess they couldn't get rid of it it was like yeah, a hot item I think it, it, yeah it was a hot item like I know that multiple people got arrested like later on but they for were that specific for that, burglary for, from yeah, yeah for all that like because so yeah. much stuff was stolen that stuff would pop up with so many different connections to people and the police took it seriously because dude if you add that shit up Like my bike alone was probably worth at least four grand, you know. I mean, the mm. frame alone back then, like those were like two thousand dollar frames. So it's like all the parts, like full campy, like NJS stuff, which is like stupid expensive and so rare. Like it was a, an expensive bike, so it's like you times that by ten, dude. You're looking into like the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar range. It's a big, big, big. Uh... Yeah. And the fact that it wasn't, like, a crime of opportunity, like, it was definitely organized. Like, the police took it pretty seriously. And, like, by the way, like, dude, looking back on it, like, I should have never put my bike in that. But I was trusting the locals. Like, every local did it, you know? And, like, if you come to San Francisco, the break-ins here are so bad. I would never tell anyone to, like, lock their bike up or leave anything in their car. Like, I'm pretty vocal about that every time someone's, like, coming to visit i'm like don't leave a single thing in your car it's like if you want to if you have a pack of gum in your cup holder and you want a piece of gum later like take that gum with you because it's not going to be there when you get in san back. francisco dude it's so bad really and the cops do nothing about it yeah Fuck. hundreds of break-ins a day really yeah bikes get stolen all the time like every other day like a friend of mine's posting like hey this bike just got stolen from like 10th and market or whatever it's like yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Well, it's at like least you got it back. Bad. But yeah, so yeah, I got that's my amazing, bike back. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But what that, a dude. That's the shitty thing about riding here. It's like if you want to ride and you want to go do something, like you can't because you can't lock up your bike here. Like so, you have to like. If I want to go ride, I have to like come home, drop my bike off, and then take a train, like a like a subway to wherever I want to go. You don't have like a beta bike. Is that not a thing? Like take your your your. I shitty... mean, I no, I don't really have any bad bikes, and also, even if I did, it's like I don't want it stolen. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and it will like wherever. Like if you want to go see a movie, like every movie theater in the city is like on a pretty high in an area corner. that yeah yeah so it's like even if your bike doesn't get stolen like your wheel will get stolen your seat post will get stolen like something you're, so they're quick they're literally quick it's all day every day dude yeah there's like wow. bike encampments like just these tents with like these chop shops where it's just piles of bike parts like <sighs> Shit, yeah. it's pretty nuts like i don't know if you guys have ever seen photos of it like on instagram or something like it's I can't even describe it if you've never seen it, dude. There's like, just like igloos of like, like suitcases and stuff. Like people's like suitcases from like breaking into cars. Like people will build like tents and forts out of like old suitcases. The like they stack them up like bricks or like ice bricks to like an Before igloo. they even go through them. When they're still full, there's got so much shit to deal dude, with. Dude, it's crazy. Like yeah. I mean... I'm not trying to talk shit because it's sad. Like a lot of those people are like addicted to drugs and like they're just doing what they have to do to survive. But I mean, but it's bad. stealing yeah. from individual people is pretty shitty. Like I think it's fucked up, but I'm thankful I'm not in that position. But I've also like worked really hard to like not be in that position because I yeah, definitely yeah. like have like an addictive personality. And that's one of the reasons why I've like stayed sober my whole life is because I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes than to like make my own. So I think, like, I just try to use, like, that, like, addictive drive to, like, physical, like, positive things where it's, like, I'm always mm -hmm. taking photos. Like, I'm always, like, trying to be productive and do shit mm -hmm. rather than, like... That's good. I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. SF's crazy. Bike theft is crazy. It's really bad here. So. Yeah. Talking about SF and how crazy it is... Um. You used to, I mean, maybe you still do, uh, you used to work in MASH for a moment, right? Yeah, I worked in the shop for, like, years. Um, I don't really work there right now just due to, like, COVID and stuff. Like, just things have, like, slowed down. So I kind of just stepped back. I mean, I'll always be, like, involved at some part of it, I think. Like, Mike's been great to me i filmed some of the videos like i've been in some of the videos and so yeah i mean we're always like doing something you know so it's like i don't work in the shop as much as i used to like shipping a bunch of stuff but i'd like to think that i'll always be involved in it in some capacity just because i do enjoy it and i like what mike has done with it and i like the videos that we've made and mm -hmm. to me it's like one of the most like legendary things like within our lifetime it's sick um yeah it's we all live around the world what mash have done yeah it's, yeah it must, it must feel nice to be part of that in some way yeah yeah definitely fortunate and thankful yeah. to like be involved yeah. with it and 
the biggest capacities and the smallest capacities like within the last few years. So I don't know. Yeah, it's great. It, I mean, people think that it's like this yeah. giant operation and it's literally <laughs> like, I've always like told people, I'm like, it's like two and a half people. It's like yeah. Mike and one other person. And then like five other people coming in and out, making up like that half person at any yeah, given yeah, time. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing that like apps have like screwed up. It's like people want their stuff like the next day. And so dude, it's like all day, every day. It's like people order for mash like the day before and they're like, Hey, like where's my stuff? And it's like, it's like, come it's on, gonna fuck take me. a it's couple like, days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's one person checking <laughs> everything. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I get it. People are excited. I'm not hating. I'm just saying like what mash is and what people think it is, is like a very different thing sometimes where it's like, it's not. I think if you take the time and look into it, you realize there's only a few people in, you know, there's a lot of people in the scene and part of it, but the physical work is only carried out by a couple of people. Yeah. yeah I mean, Mike, yeah. Mike's the first person. It's like, we're yeah. a small little shop, but like we try to like pack it in and like be productive. And it's like, you've got the input and the support of the riders, the community and everything. And that's the, the overall aesthetic as well. Like other people see it's like, Oh yeah, it looks like this, but yeah in, in truth can just be a couple of people yeah i don't know i mean i think for you guys it's like you know it's like mash is such an innovative company like everything they do is like original and well done and like you'll see like a year or two later like other brands will try to do that exact same thing but no one ever really does it they've definitely like they been on the cutting yeah, edge. yeah you know that it's yeah. almost yeah. annoying yeah. at some point like i think it was the um, uh, the aperture and the focus ring uh, spacers. Oh yeah! When mm. that first came out, I was like, "Man, this is so fucking cool! Why did nobody yeah. think about it before?" Oh yeah, before, like, that's yeah. what's genius yeah. about like the stuff that he's done or like we've done, and it's like it's always like so obvious, but no one ever like executed Absolutely. it in like the way he did. And it's like, that's what you could say about so many like modern artists, like Jeff Koons. It's like, it's so obvious, but you didn't do it. He did it. So that's, I, I just always feel like Mike has such a heritage in terms of like, when I first started riding in like 2009 and mash was already a thing. And then the wave went up and then dropped down and then came back again. But mash have always stayed constant and have that like history within the culture of fixed gear that it's it i always expect something fresh and new and they have always delivered yeah um i i, I yeah i have huge respect for for how long they've stayed within a fixed gear culture or cycling culture and um and how they still keep pushing boundaries and still keep pushing good co quality content and products it's it's it is, it, it, like you said, many, and Paul said, many companies are still trying to replicate that eth that ethic and uh, drive. And it's hard to do, but I see MASH doing that all the time. It's great. I love yeah. it. I love, yeah, I love MASH. yeah, the bikes and the brands are definitely, like, the best, like, street, like, track bikes you can, like, get, I think. Like, they're not... Like, I was just talking about this, like, last night, because I went to, like, one of those, like, Tark Track Tuesday things, like, at the island, which is, like, that with famous, Jake. yeah, yeah with, Jake. like, Jake yeah. and a couple other people and stuff, and 
I was talking with Patrick, like Patrick Fixie King, and he mm-hmm. has like an AC2. And he's had mm-hmm. so many different track bikes over the years. I was just kind of talking with him, like, what's like your favorite bike that you've ridden? And he's like, I GT. really like this like AC2. I really liked my GT Pulse. And he's like, I love my Cannondale track, but it's like too aggressive. Like there's so much toe overlap. And like for the street, it can be like a little bit much. So I've only heard like, good things about like the mash frames like how they ride on the street for like a modern like street track bike like yeah i don't know but i've never had like the steel frames like i've only ever had like i'm I'm a big fan of the steel frames more of the aluminium but i know paul you like them both don't you i like both yeah i actually (laughs) i actually traded uh i know it was last weekend yeah i traded a work for a parallax. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Uh, talking about parallax, man, I'm really good at segues today. Um, you have, and I'll put that into the show notes, a custom painted uh, parallax. And yeah, that thing's insane. it has that crazy paint on it. I can only guess it's from some sort of a chemical reaction. And now that I'm saying this out loud, it looks like photographic emulsion. Yeah, kind of. So the one with that was, I forget. It was either like Kyle Murphy's old frame. It was like, yeah, it's a, it's like the Chanelli Mash collab, like Parallax. So it's like from a few years ago before Mash became like its own thing with like the AC1 and the AC2 and soon to be three. Um, and... It was painted by a friend of ours, Lucas Strain, where Ben Strain is his brother who lives in the SF area and like used to be a messenger for Godspeed. But Lucas paints, he used to paint for Stomper in like central or like, like kind of like central Western Oregon. Like just, I don't know what exactly where it was based out of, but it like wasn't Portland. I think it was like Eugene or something. And, um, he paints for Vanilla now, like or like Speedwagon or whatever. Um, so he painted that frame, and the process with that, like, I think it's Legor out of Barcelona paints similar styles, but less. Like, it's not the entire bike; it's like sections of the bike. Mm-hmm. It's actually like an old process that was used like on low riders and stuff too. So basically took like a parallax stripped it down to the aluminum if you you paint like gloss sparkle black like a couple layers you let that dry and then you paint like a really deep gunmetal like sparkly silver and then while it's wet you like wrap it in saran wrap and then it makes that like all those little grooves and cracks of the saran wrap mm. Mm like kind of stamp out the paint and then you clear coat it a bunch Mm -hmm. and then um it kind of looks like hr giger like alien kind of um yeah it does a bit doesn't it yeah so it's like yeah it's that's like the process behind that paint job but yeah it was like like a one of one painted for my friend brandon who used to work at mash and who's in the video and then he was selling it and so I just got it just to like keep it like in the mash family and then um yeah but I ride so much now that like I don't ride that bike as much I've kind of I use like a geared bike lately just because 
just to commute back and it's forth to the bridge. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. when I'm on the bridge, it's like easier to take photos. Well, when I can coast, yeah. If I'm like riding past something or getting to something, it's like. Do you tend to take a lot of your photos while on the move on the bike? A lot of them, not all of them, but I've definitely mm. taken photos that like I think people might be surprised that I was literally on a bike moving, riding by when I took it. You know, mm. so it's like I'm. Depends on like how much time I have. Like if I can pull over, I'll pull over. But if I'm just riding by, you might just shoot. Yeah, I'll just shoot as I'm riding, and I so, kind of know like how to keep it still, you know. But it's definitely like a learned thing. I think like a lot of even when I was first doing it, like some of the stuff was probably blurry. And I think if most people tried it, it might come out a little blurry. But there's like ways to do it that keep it pretty sharp especially if it's like middle of the day, it should be good. But there's definitely stuff like when the sun's setting or at night that yeah, are pretty yeah. blurry, but sometimes they come out cool just with like motion and stuff. But sick. Yeah. Yeah. Side note, uh, personally speaking, sunsets on film are still super difficult for me. I, yeah, really? I can't, I can't. Uh, it's, it, never comes out the way I want to. And I've tried a lot of things. I've tried different films, uh, different ISOs. Uh, so the problem is not the camera. It's not the film. It's me. It, I just seem, I don't seem to get it proper each time. But yeah, I don't know. For me, sunsets are really hard. Sunsets and silhouette are... I kind of like my bag. I really like film photography in terms of sunsets and silhouette stuff and low light. Yeah, like, sunsets yeah. aren't easy. I have a few sunset photos that are pretty good, but it's also, I've taken a lot that aren't. But one of the best photos I ever took was like a, a sunset photo in Seattle. And it's like this whole sky is on fire and it was like taken from the waterfront. So it's basically nice. like, the water's on fire and the sky's on fire and it's like there's never been anything like it it was so insane but yeah i mean i've tried to get a good sunset and sunrise photos like on the bridge and i have a couple but there's nothing that'll ever compare to that one that i got in seattle like in 2011 or so and i don't know there's i was trying to get like a sunrise series from the bridge so i was literally like going to the bridge like every morning at like 5 30 in the morning <laughs> for like months and the day before like my camera seized like just something happened inside the film camera and the next day i was like planning on going to the bridge but i didn't because my camera was kind of busted and literally that morning that I missed was like the sunrise of a lifetime everything that I had been like working for Shit. and like people like workers on the bridge were like texting me like photos of it and I was just like oh kill me like, <laughs> workers on the bridge were texting you so oh, you've got that like, kind of rapport going on with, shit, with people yeah, on the yeah. bridge I know like all the workers and all Sick. the construction workers and stuff and they're all like down with me and into the project and yeah. Yeah. So nice. That's nice. Yeah. And they're like, they're building a suicide net right now. And, um, uh, like a couple like weeks ago, one of them's like, Hey, just so you know, like 
they're putting up the very first section of the suicide net tonight. I was like, Oh shit, really? He's like, yeah, I don't know. Cause there's been so many delays and stuff. Like it was supposed to be done two years ago and they haven't even started it until like a couple weeks ago. So, um, he told me that information and I like hit up the bridge cops like, Hey, cause this was like just a construction worker dude. And I'm like, Hey, do you know about this? They're like, Nope. And I was like, huh? Well, I'm going to try coming back later tonight just to see. And um, I hit up where like Willis actually hit me up, who you guys just interviewed with Deluxe Cycles because we've mm-hmm. known each other forever. And I didn't want to ride there again at, like at midnight. I was just like so burned out because I had just been there all day. Like I rode there in the morning, was there all day, wrote, was like riding home. I was like, damn it, dude, I want to go back tonight, but I really don't want to ride there and back. So we, him and I went at like 10 PM and then left like a little before like 1 AM. So I could take photos of like the very first section of like the net going up. So yeah, he's, he's great. I've known him forever. And that was like pretty awesome of him to like stay out late with me just so I didn't have to like ride there and back. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. All that stuff. But it was great because no one knew, like there was no media there. Like it was literally just me doing like my thing for my project. And that's, what's kind of annoying because the bridge is like so famous that like anytime like something happens, all these photographers will show up for like an hour or two and then they'll leave and never come back. And I'm like, Okay, like mm. you are all taking the exact same photo of something, and that is like a one and done thing. And that's like part of the inspiration from like my project is I was like, like I said, it's mostly documented for its like architectural, structural, like attributes. You know, it's like the Eiffel Tower of like the West Coast of the United States. You know, it's like this iconic structure mm-hmm. that you can just see from most parts of the city. I love it. Yeah, And so I just was like, I'm going to take photos of it in a different, more up close and personal way. And I mean, I do have like structural photos of it and definitely, but it's not like my thing. Cause it's like, if you buy a book of the Golden Gate Bridge, it's like a hundred different photographers in the book, you know, then I wanted like one body of work from like one photographer of like the people and the the energy and stuff from the sidewalk itself rather than like the same shot taken from like the same vantage point of the cliffs that like overlook the bridge. That makes your work so interesting though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are, I have those photos and they're great, but I think there's so much more to the bridge than like taking a photo of it from a mile away. That's been done literally a million times. You just have to flick through your Instagram. It's, it's the the way you capture it is a totally different story. The personalities, the, the you can see the stories that walk across that bridge. It's insane. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, do no. you know of anyone in Paris that like documents like the Eiffel Tower or around the Eiffel Tower? Like, is there anyone doing something like that there? You think? I don't, but it's been through a lot of change in the past few years. I mean, uh, first that uh, wall of glass was built around it, you know, because of terrorism, uh, and yeah, then and then I think was it there when was it there when we were no, there? No, was glass? not okay. And then more recently, it's been under renovation. But the thing with Paris is there's always stuff under renovation, and that's yeah. actually something I learned uh, a few uh, a few months back is. 
you know, sometimes you look at the Louvre or, I mean, probably for anyone out there, if you go to Paris today or in a really, like in any kind of future, you'll see like really old Parisian building, really famous building like the Eiffel Tower or the Louvre or stuff like that. And not on the Eiffel Tower, but on, so buildings, you know, not really like towers or anything. Uh, you'll see like giant, absolute giant, like iPhone um, advertisement posters, but like the size of the actual building. It can be iPhone, it can be Louis Vuitton, Samsung, stuff like that. And apparently, yeah. uh, Apple, for example, does finance uh, the renovation of the that building. It's huge. Yeah. The, the, the power of putting your brand onto the Louvre is, it costs so much money. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, America is so new compared to Europe, you know? I mean, like, my friend in Switzerland, like, his shop, like, his tattoo shop is on a road that's from 1100. Like, no modern cities in America were ever built then, you know? It was, like, just Native Americans at the time because I think, like, the first, like, Europeans came in, like, the late 1400s or whatever. So it's, like, 300 years before people even came to America, which that's, like, a whole thing. I'm not, like, obviously there's problems there. I'm just saying, like, that's how old parts of, like, Europe are, like, where you guys just have such old stuff that it's, un yeah, the fact that it's always being renovated makes perfect sense because it's just hundreds of years older than like anything we have. I mean, there's like parts of San Francisco that people think are old. It's from like 1910. Like it's literally like 110 years ago compared to like some of the stuff in Paris. That's what, like a thousand years old. It's crazy. Um, I think that's good for time, Jake. If I can ask you one last question, if that's all right, man. Yeah, I got um, time. Yeah. We always like to ask, uh, obviously a fixed gear question to our guests and would like, uh, what's your favorite track bike? Dream track bike, um, something you've never ridden, maybe something you have owned in the past. Some, yeah. As you like. Yeah. I think I've owned two of my favorites and there's two that I've never owned that I've always wanted. So I think my San Rencho I have, my KHS Aerotrack was the best fitting and riding bike I've ever owned, even though it looks insane with that insane pursuit look. With riser bars, it's like great. But that's the bike I got hit on when I broke my femur, so mm. it, that got destroyed. One of the bikes, I, I know this is, I know you asked for one, but. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> the BMC, the BMC track machine with like oh, that webbed. Yeah like lug like carbon lug bike is like a bike i've always wanted and never had and then shit i was just thinking about this like yesterday there was like one other i was talking with like patrick like i said yesterday about like this one other bike that i've like always wanted but never got pista concept no, I don't really. I mean, those are cool, I guess, but I never really. I only liked the 2003 one, the black, the black one, one, like the yeah. Celeste graphics. Yeah, that's the only one I've ever liked. The the white one I didn't care for. The 
mint green one I never really cared for, but the black one was cool. Um, oh, a land shark. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. I loved land shark paint jobs and I've like, it's the one bike I've like always wanted and never was able to find like for years I was actually trying to find one in my size and I had like, I always had the money for it and I just, it never, none of them ever popped up. And then I've seen them since when I like wasn't looking to buy in my size. I'm like, damn it. So it's just like one of those frames that never happened. But also I put a down payment on a Firefly mm-hmm. in like 2000 and I guess 17. I remember you telling about that. Yeah, and then I canceled it because I stopped being a messenger and was like, I don't need a $4,000 track frame. Because I was going to basically build like uh, like the KHS, like aero track, but like titanium, and then do like a really cool like anodizing to it and stuff. But I don't know. So that to me was like this bike that I wanted and partially paid for that I never ended up doing. They gave me some of my money back, so it's all good, but like, yeah, but it was the one that got away. Kind of. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's like I thought at the time like I was going to be a messenger for longer. And I was like, oh, I just want to build up like my dream track frame. That'll be like yeah. my forever build, you know. And the fact that titanium is kind mm. of a cool metal where it's like, it's kind of like the best of both worlds where it's like stiff like aluminum, but like kind of softer and like repairable and i don't know like steel's great i like steel but titanium definitely hits a few spots yeah definitely yeah. it's yeah. there's i don't know it's got pluses and minuses so i would say like as far as like track frames go that's kind of what i've had but i've never really i have a couple road bikes and like a cross bike but those don't really like move me the way like a fixed gear does i just there's something special about them that i still feel like that way about like the way Mm. they're 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 so simple that yeah man i don't know i just yeah i have a couple road bikes that are cool and people might like them but they're not that special to me i don't know i like track bikes for some reason (laughs) even when i don't ride them like I, i like looking at them more and i don't know I think the look is like for me as much as the ride, and the thing about track bikes is yeah they look they look the best. Definitely. Yeah, I'm like the opposite. It's like not about the look, but it's definitely the funnest to ride just because it's like it's up to you to like do everything. You know, you're not depending on like mechanical brakes where you like pull a lever and it does something for you. It's like up to you to do it. They happen to look cool, but like I first built mine up because I wanted something simple. Like I grew up skateboarding, like I said, but I really liked BMX also mm. just cause Arizona like there's like desert and like we all had like dirt jumps and stuff. And I remember like brakeless BMX was like kind of popular. And in 2007, I basically like hit up one of my BMX friends and was like, Hey, I want to build up a bike with like those big skinny tires, which is like 700 C like road wheels. But I was like, I don't want all the brakes and gears and stuff. Like, what do you suggest? He's like, oh, you should get a fixed gear. I was like, what's like, that? What and he's like, I don't even, gear? he didn't even have one. He just knew what they were. He's like, oh, you should just build this up. And he basically like showed me like what to build. 
And dude, at that time, because it wasn't popular, but kind of getting a little popular, you could get so much stuff for cheap. Like, dude, it was crazy. Like, so I basically built up like a pocket with like Sagino cranks and like (laughs) deep V's and stuff like pretty nice stuff. And dude, like it was like 350 bucks total. Like it was not expensive. And now, like, Sajino 75 cranks alone are, like, 300 bucks. Yeah. And, like, fill wood hubs are, like, super expensive. And deep Vs. I don't know. People don't really use deep Vs anymore. But you know what I mean? It's, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so easy and attainable. And now it's kind of expensive. And I don't That's know. That's definitely something else now, for sure. Yeah. So That was a really nice uh, summary of uh, introduction of how you got into fixed gear writing as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, dude, I knew nothing. I did not do it because I saw someone else doing it. Or I, I'm not like I've, I'm not saying that to sound cool. Like I literally, it was like Arizona, dude. No one had them. I literally just wanted a bike to ride to go to skate spots without driving a car, and yeah. I just like wanted something simple. That because BMX bikes suck to ride distance. Like yeah, of course they're terrible. Um. And so I literally just like accidentally found it. Yeah, that one conversation like changed my life because changed I fell in love with this bike that made me want to become a messenger, which made me like want to take photos, which made me want to take photos the on path. the bridge. And it's like, dude, how insane are I and really the feel decisions like that we made. Yeah, dude, literally yeah. like little conversations that mean nothing at the time that are like insignificant literally have the most like profound impacts and it's like it made me meet people and travel to like countries and cities that i never would have in the way i did like i think a bike is such a fun and perfect way to experience a new place because you can just feel like i'm not even a hippie so it's like forgive me by even saying this but like when you ride through city traffic in cities you're not from like you can literally like feel the flow of like how they Mm -hmm like how they work and operate and every place is different like going i think you can't really get to know a new city until you ride it to be honest i mean i guess people have their own way you know the subway has its own feeling getting uh, yeah getting public transport on a peak time on a peak traffic time going to work in a city you get the feel for it riding a bike the 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 speed that you go or even bikepacking and whatnot you know you see different you see the planet in a different way and places in a different way that's what i've always loved about being able to jump on a bike and take it to another city and be like right within an hour of a yeah. new city completely you can be so quickly around the place from one area to the next and you can see the change of poverty to money to rich area to poor whatever you know you can see that change within an hour and you 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 get a feel for it like nothing else i think yeah definitely i mean i've ridden a lot in like multiple countries and multiple continents and it's they all are different like barcelona is like pretty flat and has some like really cool like long smooth straightaways and paris is like got so many windy curvy roads that are all cobblestone and like so rough and um i don't know tokyo is like perfectly smooth black asphalt and Mm. i don't know it's interesting it's cool it's cool well sick awesome that's a good uh yeah that's a good ending to the main show i think yeah 
Yeah. Guys, well, that wraps up another episode of this Lesbian Society podcast. Uh, everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog, lesbiansociety.com, uh, with the various articles and write-up I post every two weeks. If you get value out of the show, why not consider putting value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash podcast to join the community where pledging at any level grants you access to the extended cut of the podcast, the pre and after show. Special thanks goes to the 25 Patreons backing us into that crazy venture. You can also find us on our Discord server. The invite link is also in the show notes or with our Instagram account as Society. I go by at underscore Paul underscore you, Rob by at Kenzie.co, but also, of course, at Jake Ricker. You also have a website. I'll put that in the show notes so people can know when the bridge venture is over and you're ready to have a book. That would be pretty sick, I guess. Move to Paris and stop the hotel. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, like hypothetically thought about it because I'm like, I, someone I, has to do it. I get the feeling, and to be honest, I was like, that's a perfect spot for it. And will that, you actually change from uh, from horizontal to a vertical format? Right, I know. Yeah, you might have to. <laughs> there's, dude, there's so many ideas I have of like places where I'm like, how has no one ever done something at these places? Like. There's mm. so many iconic areas. And I mean, it's somewhat like cliche, like the bridge is cliche, but like, dude, if you see the work, there's like so much going on that has nothing to do with the bridge and everything to do with the bridge all at the same time. Like there's definitely ways to like navigate these like cliche spaces and do something different, even though it's so obvious. It's hard to explain, but yeah, I'm sure... I'm sure there's something that can be done like in and around and on the Eiffel Tower that there's, I don't know, it's endless potential, but people might be like, oh, that's cliche or something. I don't know. Let's see if someone takes that quest. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) We'll suck the life out of you and consume (laughs) your entire being like it's done to me. If you do it right, I guess. But yeah, I'm an all or nothing person. So it's like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 100 and 100,000%. So I don't know. That's how I am. We'll but, see. Yeah. Well, guys, um, as I always say, sharing the podcast with your friend is the best and easiest way to support the show or by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. The music for the show is Loveless Wendler by Maria and the illustration is by me. Um, Jacob's tradition on the show, which is before we say goodbye to the main show listeners, is there anyone you would like to hear on on the Slow Spin Society podcast? Who's next? Mike. I I talked with Mike and I was like, I'm not into talking. I was like, I do understand. (laughs) Mike's great, but I mean, yeah, he has like a wife and a kid and he's busy. Yeah, (laughs) but... I don't know. I mean, I know he's like done them like once or twice before, but I don't know. Maybe in a year he'll want to do it. I guess it just depends on the day you ask him. But I don't know. I would say like Jake, like Lanich would be a good one just because he's way more in touch with the fixed game. Yeah, I'd love now. to have Jake. Like I've yeah. kind of stepped back from it, like where it's like I know a lot of these people and I'm still around. But I don't know. I feel like Patrick would be good just because he's got like a 
pretty extensive knowledge of like the fixed gear community and like the comings and goings. And he goes on like the PKE, which is like the, they do like hundred mile rides on like track bikes, like on the weekends and stuff. It's pretty nuts. And so he's like good because he still keeps like him and Jake both kind of keep the scene alive. And they're both like based in SF, which is kind of like one of the most important cities for like fixed gears and bikes, Definitely. I think. So, yeah, that's that's hit up Jake next for uh, the lineage. Awesome, sick, nice one. Thank you so much, man. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Really yeah, inspirational definitely. and uh, really nice to hear about your project and everything going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Guys, we're going to go on to the after show. Uh, we have a few more things to discuss. In the meantime, well, we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Ciao. Bye-bye.